The first virus we'll talk about is adenovirus. Um, this particular virus um, does cause either respiratory or GI symptoms. Um, it is a double-stranded DNA virus um, that belongs to the adenoviridae uh, family. Um, and take note that the incubation, incubation period for respiratory illness is anywhere from two to 14 days, whereas GI, it's uh, between three and 10 days. Presentation of these patients, typically the clients will come in um, with uh, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain. Um, it could be your primary infection or it can be associated with other infections. And other uh, possible GI manifestations include hepatitis and intussusception. Our diagnostics, you know, the diagnostics for almost all of our viral um, uh, studies are going to be by PCR, but there are other opportunities to actually isolate this particular virus. So you can get, um, if you're getting CSF cultures, you can order it that way. You can do nasal swabs, um, throat swabs, <clears throat> as well as blood testing. Our management is typically benign, self-limiting. Um, you know, therapeutic man management is mostly supportive in care. So you're going to treat their fever. You're going to treat their GI uh, symptoms, make sure that they stay hydrated. Um, if they have severe respiratory complications, you might need to put them on some oxygen or in worst cases, place them on mechanical ventilation. Um, if the patient is immunosuppressed, you can provide um, antiviral medications such as cytovavir. Um, and you may need to consult ophthalmology if they have any type of keratinitis, a keratoconjunctivitis uh, as well. And again, of course, you want to do some discharge, you know, some teaching with the family to make sure they maintain good uh, hand hygiene um, when caring for these children. Our next virus we have is cytomegalovirus. Um, cytomegalovirus is definitely one that we need to pay close attention to, um, specific, specifically in the prenatal period. So. Mothers who are pregnant, if they contract cytomegalovirus, they can um, pass this on to the child. The child can present healthy, but they may have some neurological involvement or some type of congenital defect. Um, so we definitely want to pay close attention to this. And if you have a child that you start seeing defects, you may want to ask the mother if she was exposed to cytomegalovirus or was treated for cytomegalovirus during pregnancy. Um, it's, it's called cytomegalovirus or, or large um, cells. Um, because due to the viral D DNA, they, it develops this protein buildup, um, which increases the sizes of the host cells. So this can be either um, congenitally, they're born with it. Um, usually they, they have a healthy appearance um, and no symptoms at birth. Um, but then as they start to age and develop, they can have some, some issues. Um, one of the big neurological symptoms they can have is unilateral or bilateral hearing loss. Um, in some infants that are born, they can have neurological deficits, microcephaly, seizures, poor muscle tone. Um, it could also cause uh, 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 improper growth of the fetus, um, enlarged liver, enlarged spleen. Um, they can have other issues, as uh, other um, complications such as pneumonia, thrombocytopenia as well. Um, some, some, not all, will present with this blueberry muffin lesion. Uh, which is like this dark uh, magenta colored papule or nodules on the skin. Uh, CMV uh, is, is, again, can be found in uh, urine and saliva, nasal swabs, sinus infections, uh, or sinus washings, etc. 
the cultures usually take uh, one to two weeks uh, to grow. Um, it can also be identified in PCR, which is highly sensitive. Um, and CMV, you know, is con the mother will contract this um, by by being exposed to urine or saliva. So we encourage the mothers during pregnancy not to um, share you food utensils or um, try to limit their exposure to urine and saliva during the pregnancy. Um, CMV also can be uh, silently dormant inside a patient and be benign. Um, and when we transplant patients, you'll notice on transplant workups, we will check for cytomegalovirus to see if there has been an exposure previously in the donor as well as the recipient. And we'll want to make sure that they keep that at bay because once they start immunosuppression, this could manifest symptoms um, down the road. Again, you want to use standard isolation pro uh, protocols. If the patient is immunocompromised, you can start antiviral uh, treatments, again, with gencyclovir as the first treatment. Um, and in some cases, you might have to give them uh, immunoglobulin as well or cytogam. Epstein-Barr virus is our next one. This, this too is also part of the transplant workup because um, you can have, um, have had previous exposure to Epstein-Barr virus, which also can lay dormant within the patient as well over a period of time. But typically they present as the, um, the early stages of infectious mononucleosis. So patients who have this fatigue, fever, um, they can have sore throat, malaise, um, lymphadenopathy, in some cases, they can have an exudative uh, pharyngitis as well, enlarged spleen, um, and in worst cases, they can have splenic rupture, um, and these patients will present with uh, left shoulder pain or, or Kerr sign, as, as noted here on the, on the slide. So when these patients get diagnosed with EBV virus or they're positive with EBV or you suspect infectious mononucleosis, um, oftentimes, we will have these patients uh, limited and with no contact sports because of the concern with splenic rupture. Again, they can have hepatomegaly. Um, symptoms can last anywhere from three to four weeks or several months. Um, so you also have to provide that information when you're doing your discharge teaching with these patients because um, the symptoms may not go away for an extended period of time can also be associated with malignancy, such as Burkitt's lymphoma, B-cell tumors, uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, and the rest are listed here on, on, the, on the slide. can also have some neurological disorders, including meningitis, headache, fever, encephalitis, um, and seizure um, activity as well. Um, due to the enlargement of the tonsils, you could have some um, airway obstruction. So also note that. So when you're doing your exam, you want to look to see um, in the back of the, the pharynx to see if there's any type of edema or enlarged uh, tonsils um, or adenoids. Um, when a patient has EBV and they're given amoxicillin, sometimes these patients come in with this, you know, um, malaise type picture. They may have this infectious uh, pharyngitis or, or lymphadenopathy. And once they're placed on amoxicillin, um, they can develop this diffuse rash, which is all over the body. It's, it's, it's described as a macular papular exanthems, uh, morbilliform eruptions on the entire body. Um, and sometimes this will help you lead or get you to that diagnosis that maybe this is an EBV infection or maybe this is mono. 
Again, your diagnostics will include your um, a very variety of different testing. Um, they can test for uh, viral antigen, detection of the viral antigen. Again, you can identify this on PCR, which I, I feel that this is the more common um, study that we do, especially if we're doing workups for like transplant. Um, but you can also have positive monospot testing um, and some of the some of the smaller labs may have this because it's a relatively easy test to put forth or, or to put together to get a, a positive or to get your results, basically. Diagnostics, uh, uh, again, you can uh, with the acute infections, they may have high titers and IgM and IgG antibodies um, for um, for this particular virus. And previous infections will show mostly antibodies. Again, these antibodies is what they're looking for prior to transplantation. Um, and then they may treat the patients as such if there's a very high um, antibody load. Again, our treatment for this is mostly supportive, um, self-limited, rest, fluids, antipyretics, make sure that they stay hydrated. Um, if they have an upper airway obstruction, you want to put them on humidified air, keep the head of the bed elevated. Um, in clients that have abdominal pain, uh, you want to assess for signs of peritonitis. Um, they may show up with left shoulder pain or hypotension or even shock. Um, so you want to make sure you evaluate. And, and these patients, sometimes you can feel the spleen um, on your exam. The spleen is probably one of the more difficult organs to try to assess for. Um, but when you have uh, splenomegaly, significant splenomegaly, you can actually feel you have to do some deep uh, palpation on the on the left lateral upper quadrant, and sometimes you can feel something. It feels like a, an enlarged ball or football shape. Um, if they do have splenic rupture, note that these patients can become very hypotensive. They may have blood loss, or they will have significant blood loss. So you may need to aggressively treat them with fluids as well as blood replacement, um, and you need to notify pediatric surgery for surgical intervention. Um, if there is, uh, if they are have um, EBV, you can start them on acyclovir um, to reduce that viral replication. Um, you can place them on short course steroids. Um, again, you can treat any underlying uh, uh, cancers. Again, you want to make sure that you you tell these um, patients that they need to. Um, limit themselves to exposing other people. So, you know, if this is a teenager, you know, the no kissing, you want to, you know, you're going to have a lot of replication or shedding within the saliva. Um, so you want to make sure um, that they, they don't, you know, you know, pass it on to other folks as well as they, they should avoid um, donating blood um, with active infection. Um, so, uh, our next one is enterovirus. Uh, enterovirus, again, is uh, very common for um, uh, in, 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 in our pediatric population. Um, it includes, you know, it includes the poliovirus, Coxsackie virus, um, groups A, group 6, and then the echoviruses as well. Uh, replication is usually in, within the cytoplasm at a very rapid rate. It can cause... Um, uh, it can be passed through nasopharynx or GI tract. Um, so again, you know, it can be widely spread with improper hand washing. For your incubation period for non-paralytic poliomyelitis, it's three to six days. For paralytic myelitis, it's anywhere from seven to 21 days. 
Again, majority of the patients are asymptomatic when they present, can have some non-specific febrile illness. So as my previous lecture, it just could be a child that has a fever with an unknown source. Uh, again, that's why it's important to get that um, good uh, immunization schedule or history. Um, respiratory manifestations can range anywhere from um, uh, fever with a sore throat um, to as severe as uh, pneumonia. Your GI symptoms include your nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, abdominal pain. They can, her they can also have a herpangina, um, which presents um, in, in, uh, oral lesions inside the mouth that are, that are painful. They can have vesicular lesions on the soft palate, the uvula tonsils, and this can last up to seven days, um, and specifically that of those with Coxsackie virus. Again, this particular virus is, is, is highly associated with pericarditis and myocarditis, which is why it's included on the um, uh, panel when you're assessing someone for myocarditis when they come in, which could lead to um, heart failure and, and other um, complications. Um, both the Coxsackie bees and echoviruses are highly associated with uh, meningitis. So you want to assess that as well, or they can have an encephalitis, um, usually caused by the echovirus, which may present as seizures, ataxia, altered mental status. Um, they can also have um, hemorrhagic conjunctivitis. So here you want to make sure you assess their visual acuity as well as assess their conjunctiva very well. They can have blurred vision, changes in their vision, um, erythema to the eyes as well. For our diagnostics, um, again, we're going to um, do cell cultures, and we can test these um, specimens from the um, uh, from fluids, the nasopharynx, um, the throat, um, as well as the stool, um, and detection. Uh, again, with with these, you might want to do samples that are twenty four hours apart. Again, we haven't seen these uh, some of these serious. Uh, uh, disorders such as polio due to um, our vaccines. But again, as I've said previously multiple times, our culture has changed. Not everyone is getting full immunization. So there is a potential we could start seeing some of these disorders. Um, serology, again, PCR, very uh, uh, effective method of testing for, for, the, for these viruses. Management again, is you know supportive care. There's not a lot of uh, of to offer. You can provide some antiviral medications. Most therapies again are supportive in nature, such as providing oxygen, uh, mechanical ventilation if needed, keeping them hydrated, um, analgesics for pain and discomfort. You may need uh, you know inotropic support depending on how severe or how um, sick these patients are. Um, with your paralytic poliomyelitis, um, this again affects their respiratory um, status. So it can, uh, can, can it, it is the reason why most of these kids have uh, more uh, higher, higher morbidity and mortality. So these patients may have respiratory failure, a deviated uvula, um, increased pharyngeal secretions, uh, inability to tolerate liquids. Um, so these patients will require um, some type of airway management, whether that's uh, non-invasive ventilation or uh, mechanical ventilation. Again, this can be spread through um, the feces and secretions. So we definitely want to make sure the family is, is well educated on proper hand hygiene uh, to limit exposures. 
and um, you want to make sure that they they follow standard and contact precautions. And again, you know, education on the vaccines um, is is very important. Our next one, we'll talk about herpes simplex infections, and, and there are a variety of different ones. So we'll talk about um, simplex one, simplex two, shingles, and other forms of herpetic uh, infections. So simplex one um, is usually, you know, 90, more than 90% of this infection is subclinical, meaning that they're not really having any signs or symptoms. Um, it is more complex, com common. Your simplex two usually is one that is really re related to your sexually transmitted infections. It's a, it's usually a genital uh, pathogen. Um, and this is also the type you can see in neonatal herpes as well, which can be passed from mom to, to the neonate. Um, these infections can cause what we call herpetic gingivostomatitis, um, where they have this uh, herpetic eruptions around the mouth or around the uh, mouth and um, face. Um, these children typically will be irritable. They not want to eat. They'll have a lot of mouth pain. They could be drooling. Um, here you'll have these small yellow ulcerations with red halos um, around the mouth uh, and, and labial mucosa as well. These, these lesions can be yellowish with white debris. Um, <clears throat> they can have a vesicular pustular um, uh, presentation as well. And I do have some pictures here coming up shortly to show you what these typically look like. Symptoms last anywhere from five days to two weeks, um, but it can shed for weeks following resolution. So meaning you could have some residual effects. Um, you may appreciate some um, uh, cervical and tonsillar lymphadenopathy um, with your examination as well. Your diagnosis are usually made clinically, so you, you basically will identify these lesions as, as you examine the patient. You can send a, a sample or a scraping of the, these to the lab um, for evaluation as well. Viral cultures can take anywhere from 24 to 72 hours to result. Um, treatment basically is, is um, supportive care. Uh, you can provide them with some magic mouthwash, which will help with some of the pain and discomfort. Um, there's, there's a concoction here. There's multi, many different ways to make this type of solution, but this one um, seems to work the best. And, and um, if you diagnose it early, you can start them on a cyclovir. Here's a picture of some of these um, herpetic gingivostomatitis um, lesions here. Um, other types of herpes simplex infections can be skin infections, um, can be from, you know, passed on from cold sores or direct inoculation. These lesions are typically deep, um, painful vesicles. Um, they evolve over several days. They can be pustular um, ulcerations that then crust over. Um, these can be most common types tend to be around the lips and fingers or thumbs. However, it can be pretty widespread throughout the body and include um, keratoconjunctivitis as well. Here's another picture of a child with um, these herpetic lesions that are um, spread throughout. Your varicelliform or your uh, varicelliform eruption or eczema uh, herpeticum, um, th these lesions come in crops of areas um, currently or recurrent affected skin areas. Um, for those patients with atopic eczema or chronic dermatitis, 
Um, they can begin as pustules, then they erupt and crust over. Um, these lesions can become um, uh, hemorrhagic as well. These, these particular types of lesions um, usually will appear over about a week to 10 days. Um, they can be mild or fulminant, depending on the underlying dermatitis. Um, these areas are also involved <clears throat> in large areas um, and can, can promote or lead to um, fluid loss. So you want to make sure these patients stay hydrated as well. And you can start these patients quickly on acyclovir. Um, and they do run the risk for bacterial infections as well. So you want to make sure you monitor them to make sure that they don't become septic from um, an overwhelming bacterial infection as well. Here's a picture of the eczema herpaticum. Uh, recurrent herpes simplex infections can be triggered um, by fever, sunlight, um, trauma, um, menstrual periods, as well as emotional stress. Um, the one that we see most common is cold sores. Um, these Prodromes are usually localized and burning, itching, stinging, or uncomfortable eruptions, um, rooped vesicles. They can, again, they have this yellow serous fluid. Um, primary lesion um, is usually uh, uh, around the, the lips. Again, vesicular um, fluids become co um, cloudy after about two to three days, and then they crust over. Again, these, uh, the next um, or last one we're going to talk about is herpes zoster. Um, so this is actually the varicella zoster virus. Um, essentially, you know, patients can have uh, chicken pox, but the virus will lay dormant and then it can be reactivated and develop into shingles. Um, this is usually triggered by some kind of mechanism, whether that's trauma, infection, um, or in some cases, patients who become immunosuppressed. Um, these lesions are grouped um, thin-walled vesicles, um, and I have a picture of this as well. And they're also very, very uncomfortable and painful for the patient. Again, they crust over after a few days. Um, they may or may not have fever, um, and they can have some regional lymphadenopathy, which is common. You typically see these in the thoracic and, uh, area in the front on the chest or on the back as well. Cranial nerve involvement. Um, can, you can have your um, uh, trigeminal uh, facial nerve dermatomes can be affected, facial pain, auricular pain as well. Um, and these patients can transmit the varicella, so be careful for those that are not vaccinated, um, as well as um, caring for them with uh, contact precautions. And here is a picture of, of, of shingles on a patient's back. All right, this concludes the viral section. Again, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out.